This episode has been brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash cover to credits for a free 30-day trial and book download. Uh, we, I love recommending audiobooks to people who might not have time to read a book or might not normally pick something up. It's super easy. It doesn't really feel like you're reading a book. It's no. just like someone is talking to you like a podcast. It's, it is like a story. Um, and it's really fun. I love listening to audiobooks. Ian listens to a ton of the books that we read. Yeah. Um, I didn't through get, Audible. So yeah, I didn't get into audiobooks until we started doing the podcast. And I was really surprised how much I enjoyed them. Yeah. Especially when like the reader's good. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's excellent. Yeah. And if you're looking for a suggestion, Ian and I both read, uh, Trevor Noah's memoir called Born a Crime. And the excellent thing about it is the book is super great, but also Trevor Noah narrates it. Mm-hmm. So you get to listen to him talk about his life. And it's like you're there with someone and he's just telling you his story. Yeah, he's super funny. He brings a life to it and also like a personal touch and you're laughing and you're crying and it's an excellent book. So yeah, if you want to listen to that book and want to listen to it for free, go to audibletrial.com slash cover to credits and you can get that. For 30 days. Actually, you get to keep it, I think, as long as you want. Yeah. Afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 30-day free trial. So go do that. Check that out. Hello, and welcome to Coverage Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story, or as the book is called, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, was written by Gene Shepard and published in 1966. And the film adaptation was directed by Bob Clark and came out in 1983. The classic Christmas film that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is a really interesting one because the book is actually a collection of short uh, short stories, yeah. kind of memoirs in a way. He, the The author goes out of his way to say that at the beginning that these are fictional mm-hmm. and not based on anything in real life and any similarities are coincidental. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that pretty much means it is it's partly real. It's based. partly real life. <laughs> it all happened exactly how he says, <laughs> I think is what that means, right? <laughs> like there's no line of blurred between reality no. and this book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so uh, this is kind of a collection of short stories about uh, the character growing up in an Indiana mm-hmm. town during the Great Depression. Yeah. And some stories are what kind of were put together to form a Christmas story, the yeah. movie. Then there's plenty of other stories that aren't included in a Christmas story at all. Yeah. On top of that, other stories were... So the author also wrote for radio, mm-hmm. which he um, read. Yeah. And so, for example, the tongue to the flagpole mm-hmm. scene was from a story he read on the radio once, but was never actually published physically. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an amalgamation of different Think things. Think of like a Venn diagram of there's this book in a circle mm-hmm. and then there's all his other like short stories and radio stuff. And then there's a Christmas story. Yeah. Christmas story is like in the middle of them. It is. And I I think this is, um, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. Cause the movie is very much this kind of episodic. It is. Collection of stories Mm -hmm. that kind of have 
there is kind of an overarching story, but it does feel like this thing happens. Then this thing happens. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then it's like Christmas. And that sort of ties it all together is Christmas. Um, and I see that. And it, that does work. But um, it is kind of once you think about it, once you read this book, you're like, oh, that makes sense that it was drawn from a collection of short stories. Definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons it's a good movie to just play 24-7 during <laughs> Christmas. Because it kind of doesn't matter what part you're tuning in for. That's true. It's just like, oh, it's this part of the story that kind of exists on its own. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really have to be a part of anything larger. It's just like, oh, the leg lamp part. Yeah. Or, oh, the scene with Santa. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just, these little bits are just all kind of fused together. And I, I that's my theory as to why this works so well as a 24-hour Christmas movie on TV. Yes. And I must admit that I mm-hmm. never watched this movie as a child. Yeah. I only watched it kind of when I was older. And I didn't really like it at first. Yeah. I kind of like it more now. And I think it's good and funny. And I like the little bits in it and all the little stories and everything. But when I first watched it, I was like what the fuck is this movie? Like, (laughs) like it's really boring and long Mm -hmm. and just kind of like, why do I care? Yeah. It's hard to, uh, how do I want to put it? It's it. it, If you have grown up with this movie and have watched it a lot, it's very difficult to analyze it as a movie in a way. I mean, especially because it is strange and episodic and feels like, this collection of random stories. Yeah. And on top of that, when you've just grown up with it, like you don't even see it as a movie anymore. You can't separate it. No. Yeah. So it's very, it was interesting to actually put it in the DVD or I guess we rented it digitally. Yeah. <laughs> we did not put it in the DVD. We did player. not put it in the DVD player. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2018. Adina. <laughs> <laughs> we did put a DVD in the play, the DVD player last night, though. So. We did. We did. It's not totally antiquated <laughs> yet. But, uh, in this instance, I rented it from uh, Google Play. Yeah. And I was like, God, when was the last time I actually sat down and watched this movie? Without, straight through. Straight through without commercials. And because I was very surprised it was only an hour and a half. And I think that adds to the feeling of it being endless is that it's on Christmas, it's on like 24 seven, like it's literally on all day. And then there's so many commercials and it just creates, and then it's hard to know where you are in the story sometimes Yeah, because the episodes are so separate. And so you're like, (laughs) it's just like this endless hell of a Christmas (laughs) story, just playing constantly. And then there's like these stupid holiday commercials in between. And then the minute it ends, it like is starts up beginning, like while the end credits are going on, you know how they shrink that down down. into the corner and then they're starting it again. (laughs) And it's like this groundhog's day of like, like, Ralphie is just always like waiting for his BB gun in this oh perpetual God. Christmas hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's a classic. It's a classic. It's a classic. Of course it's a Christmas classic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So now that you know a little bit about the story and everything also, this is uh, very interesting. I think for fans of the movie, the author of the book, because he has a background doing radio, radio and those kinds of things too. Uh, he actually is the voice of the narrator in the movie. Yeah, he's the adult Ralphie. Mm-hmm. And, and 
also, so many of the lines from the narrator are pulled almost verbatim from the book. Yeah. Which, and he has a real knack. And I think it's because a lot of these started out as radio. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're reading it, it's very, like, you can he- almost hear it. Like, the way it's said out loud. Like, it's very pleasing to the ear. It um, is. The descriptions are really, like, kind of loud, is what I would say. Yeah. Very, like, kind of, he, he really paints you a picture. And I think that his radio background really comes through in that way. Yeah, he he does, like, a lot of, like, alliterations and yeah. that kind of thing. Like, one of my f- favorite lines is, like, when he's writing his essay and he's like, yeah. never had the words, fl- what is it, flowed from my pen- penny pencil with such feverish fluidity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just love how it's written in such a serious, like, he puts you in the headspace of a kid yeah. who is kind of that's their whole world yeah that's their like the lens of a child is like this is serious and like yeah nothing has mattered more in my life than getting this red rider bb gun yes uh-huh and like the uh juxtaposition between like him thinking like never had the words flown more smoothly <laughs> and then like the his actual essay which is so dumb so- and stupid and he like reads one line and it's just about like the specs on the bb gun and he's like pure poetry <laughs> honestly the the voiceover the narration are like my favorite lines in the whole movie. Oh yeah. Uh, We'll get to some of them later, but like those are the ones that really stick in my head. And I like remember, uh, verbatim from watching this for so many years. So it's kind of funny because all this material started out as radio. Yeah. And then it got put into a book. Mm hmm. And then I think a lot of it was written for playboy too. Wasn't it? Yeah. Some of them are, are short stories too, but Quite a bit of, of it was on the radio. Yeah, yeah. And then it got put onto into a movie. Yeah. And so it's like this mixed medium type thing. Yeah, it's this kind of collage of, you know, this guy's, you know, totally fictionalized stories that's yeah. definitely not his actual childhood, <laughs> uh, told originally through different mediums of short story and radio, mm-hmm. and then combined under the umbrella of the Red Rider BB gun yeah. um, story, which is actually the first story in the book mm-hmm. in God We Trust. Yeah. All others pay cash. And it makes sense that that's kind of like, okay, this is the overarching one. Yeah. And then other stories are kind of inserted and nestled in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So let's let's get into it. Let's get into the... The stew. Yeah, so we're just going to assume that probably most of you have seen A Christmas Story, the movie. Yeah. Um, But as you know, or maybe don't know, um, there is the narrator, the adult Ralphie, who is talking about his childhood and this specific Christmas time when he really wanted to get this Red Ryder BB gun. Mm -hmm. In the book, we also have an adult, Ralphie, kind of telling us what's going on, except we actually get the adult coming in. Yeah. And it's like through the lens of him coming back to his hometown after being gone for many years. And he's writing some kind of like newspaper piece on his hometown or something dumb. It's not explained. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And like, this is kind of frustrating because clearly. Ralphie returning home and like this is the 60s maybe yeah at this point because they talk about pop art at one point yeah. so I'm guessing and it was published in 66 so it's probably like around the same time yeah it was probably written like in that present 
so it's in the 60s, him returning to his home. Uh, and, and this is cl- clearly the framework that he puts all these short stories into, where he goes home and he goes to a bar where his old childhood friend, Flick, is now the bartender. Yeah. And he sits down and they just drink the entire book and just reminisce about random occurrences. And so he'll bring up, oh, my God, remember that time yeah. with the thing and the place? And, you know. And Flick will be like, oh, that thing, that place. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know it's still standing? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about it in detail. Uh, and so then it goes into one of these short stories. Yeah. But the problem is there's just like so many questions that I had about the present. Yeah. For example, Ralphie's now this kind of um, socialite New Yorker. Yeah. Who's very kind of pompous. Drinks these like sexy, fancy drinks. Yeah. Is like going to art shows and is like the toast of New York or something. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, throughout the story, I'm like, I wonder if there's going to be like any explanation for how Ralphie became this person? Like yeah. what drove him to go to New York and pursue this career and kind of leave behind his uh, his childhood in the Midwest and uh-huh. how he changed as a person? You get none of that. Also, is there tension now between him and Flick because they grew up together, but now yeah. they're living like such different lives? Not really. <laughs> also, he's back home. What happened to his parents? They don't talk about his family. No. Yeah. I'm like, is he going to visit his parents? I imagine he would if they still lived there or they're still alive. But, like, nothing is mentioned about his parents. Yeah. This feels to me like they were like, okay, we, we're going to make this into a book. But mm-hmm. it can't just be a collection of short stories. Like, it has to be a novel. So it has to have like this larger story going on to link all these short stories together. So it doesn't seem like just separate short stories. They're all connected somehow in a larger story. Um, But it doesn't quite work. No. And especially because some of the short stories also start with Ralphie in the present. Yeah. But like back in New York. Yeah. And he's suddenly reminded of something from his past again. So he's like remembering himself, remembering a memory. Yeah. Imagine telling your friend, you're like, oh, remember the time with that firecracker? Like, yeah, yeah, I was so recently I was in New York and I remembered that because and then you tell like a 10 minute story about how you remembered the thing that you're going to talk about anyway. Yeah. It's so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) It's just weird. Yeah. And it kind of clearly shows how this is a loose framework around short set stories that were all separate and written differently. And it's one of those things, too, that, you know, he was Gene Shep was a pretty famous radio personality, like very popular. And I think it might have been like, well, you know, this book is going to sell. Yeah. Uh, the editor wasn't like, we need to like rework this to make it work as a book. Yeah. The editor was like, sure. They probably didn't, <laughs> they didn't want him to have to change t- his touch, stories. Yeah. Touch the actual stories. Yeah. So. But yeah, so that's kind of just a little bit of a it's an interesting uh, layout for these short stories. But let's stop talking about the book that probably no one has read (laughs) and talk about the movie that everyone has seen or been forced to watch (laughs) 10 times in one day a year. (laughs) So we start off with Ralphie, of Mm -hmm. course, and the movie starts with him ogling 
the Red Rider BB gun in the store window. Yes. At Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And it's Christmas and the kids are excited. The movie takes place in in the movie, an unnamed town in Indiana. Yeah. In the book, it is Ho- Homan. Homan. Thank you. And but it was actually filmed in Cleveland, mm-hmm. Ohio, which is kind of funny because he lives on Cleveland Street. Oh, really? In in the book and movie, uh-huh. like it's named in both. And so I always keep thinking it's Cleveland in my head because that's <laughs> yeah. where the house is. Yeah. That's kind of famous now. Well, they talk about being on Lake Michigan and Cleveland's on Lake Erie. So I think it has a very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So you just kind of, I just automatically keep, keep thinking this is around Cleveland, but it's not. It's it's, <laughs> it's south, south of uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so Ralphie is growing up and it's kind of debated about what year specifically this takes place in. Um late 30s early 40s is basically the area yeah because people are like oh the the little orphan annie decoder pin didn't come out till 42 (laughs) but um this uh the wizard of oz came out in 39 and that was when so there's just like a lot of debate about that Mm -hmm. but that area and he does in the book he does talk about it being the depression a lot um Mm -hmm. and how that is affecting his town and kind of like what the people are doing at the time in the movie it's i think it's just harder to tell because the past is like looks almost similar to me in some ways yeah like it wasn't until we were like reading the book that i was like oh you know what maybe this is like before like the 50s and 60s because to me like their hair and stuff (laughs) it just kind of looked like the 60s and i know that sounds dumb but but it's very tough too sometimes because like a lot of times if a movie is filmed in the 80s, yeah. no matter what time it takes place in, some of those 80s styles still creep through. Yeah. You know, it's like any futuristic movie mm-hmm. that was filmed in the 80s, they still have like mullets yeah. and it's still really cheesy 80s in a way. So mm-hmm. um, there might be some of that in this too. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I agree. I also didn't realize it was this long ago, mm-hmm. but pretty much... During the Great Depression slash just just after it. Yeah. So, and Ralphie wants the Red Rider BB gun with the compass in stock. He really wants it. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is a very, this is a struggle. It's a a struggle for him. It's his great love and his um, great pain as well. (laughs) Yeah. And once again, this goes back to like the move, the, the narration and writing style where this is such a serious epic thing that he needs he needs this red rider gun for in his childhood brain for all the the bandits that are going to come and attack the house yeah and and we get some really great goofy fantasy Uh scenes thrown in there too like relating to this yeah where uh in the movie where and in the book too where Ralphie imagines bandits attacking the house and him kind of like shooting them down in the movie. It's a really funny scene to get to see him all like swaggery in his cowboy outfit and his family's cowering under the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and shooting all the, the, the thugs outside, all the bandits in, yeah. in white and black. Spitting his chew. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that especially. Yeah. Um, and and so and I one thing I really liked about reading the book and if you're a fan of a Christmas story, I do think this is a it's worth checking this book out from the library at least and yeah. like reading that first story because mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, context clues 
not context clues, but things in the book that enlightened me more on the movie. Mm. So one line, for example, is Ralphie wants to give a hint about the BB gun that's subtle. Yeah. And he randomly in the movie blurts out about Flick seeing grizzly bears down by Pulaski's candy store. I think Mm. that's exactly what he says, (laughs) but like really fast. Yeah. And the parents look at him and one of my favorite lines is they looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. (laughs) yeah Um, and you didn't know what that meant no and i was like Mm -hmm. why is he talking about i don't get it why what's that have to do with anything but yeah in the book he's explaining like oh i want a reason where having this gun would be good home (laughs) defense (laughs) yeah against like grizzlies that would maybe come to our house i was like oh i get that now i get what that line is trying to do but in the movie it just is so out of nowhere he says it so fast too i don't think i even knew what he said yeah oh yeah he says it in his 12 year old like voice that's tough to understand sometimes so (laughs) but yeah there's a lot of things like that there's another part where at one point the furnace that's always going crazy like starts spewing out smoke yeah and the dad goes it's a clanker as he like runs downstairs (laughs) and i always just thought he was talking about the furnace being a clanker Mm -hmm. but apparently a clanker was an actual like object that would get dislodged from the furnace and mm. start smoking up the house like that was called a clinker oh yeah so little things like that are kind of very informative about the movie that you're not you might not understand when you're watching it so in context of the story for sure yeah uh-huh uh so ralphie first appeals to his mother mm-hmm. and of course she says uh you'll shoot your eye out <laughs> <laughs> and so he he quickly gives up on that mm-hmm. that front his next attempt is to appeal to his teacher. Yes. Uh, with his uh, theme, which is what they <laughs> called essays, I guess, back then. Yeah. Write a theme. A theme, <laughs> as his teacher put it. Yeah. So they have to write a theme on what they want for Christmas. And this is where Ralphie thinks that his pen is flowing furiously. <laughs> and he just writes about how he wants the BB gun. But of course, when he gets his paper back, his teacher has written that he'll shoot his eye out. Yes. <laughs> and Ralphie's convinced that his mother and his teacher are in are in cahoots and they've conspired <laughs> against him. Because <laughs> there's no way this turn of phrase could appear like in both places. No. Did you think that Ralphie, and this was another thing that I thought was maybe enlightening about the book, did it seem like Ralphie had a crush on his teacher a little yes. bit in the movie? Okay. Yeah. Because it's very... Because on one hand, he's trying to bribe her kind of, but on another hand, he's always like gawking at her. Yeah. And then there's a story in the book where he, like, overtly has a crush on his teacher. Yeah. And it's pretty funny. He wants to, like, he thinks they're going to, like, run away together and all this <laughs> ridiculous. But when I read that, I was like, okay, I definitely think they were going for that in the, yeah. in the movie, too. His, this kind of crush on the teacher. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally, he thinks, uh, I'm going to appeal to Santa. Yes. I'm going to get Santa on my side <laughs> on this. Go to the big man. Yeah. He goes to the department store Santa. They this scene is excellent. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> because first they have to stand in line mm-hmm. for this huge Santa mountain. And, you know, it's just in the middle of a shopping mall. Everything's crazy. They finally get up there. It's on this huge mountain thing. Has to walk all the way up. He sits on Santa's lap and of course he's like too scared to speak. <laughs> and you can see this with like the kids that go before him that some of them just start crying immediately. It's so funny. Like how many, including his brother yeah, just starts wailing. Just starts screaming. They're like <laughs> I honestly kind of feel like 
Ralphie's not a bad actor no. in the movie. I kind of feel like all the other kids, though, even Randy, are kind of better actors mm. than the kid who plays Ralphie, though. Yeah. Randy just plays like the dumb little Randy brother. Randy is so great. So well. He's <laughs> so funny in it. Um, he, he's just, I don't know. There's the scene where he has to, his mom gets him to eat. Oh, yeah. By being a pig. Yeah. By pretending he's a pig and eating mm-hmm. from the trough, quote unquote, from his plate. That's just so funny. <laughs> and Randy, the scene where they're going outside yeah. um, and being bundled up. That's another great line where he says uh, getting ready to go outside was like preparing for extended deep sea diving. <laughs> He's like, I can't get up. Ralphie, I can't get up. He falls over and he can't get up. <laughs> it's great. And and, and um, Ralphie's two friends who are Flick and Schwartz mm-hmm. are also pretty good actors. Flick. Um, in the tongue pole scene when he's freaking out and after that is really good. Yeah. And Schwartz is just funny. He delivers his lines so well. Because I feel like sometimes scripted lines when kids have to deliver them are like... They just feel like they're reading them, maybe? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Schwartz actually did a great job of like (laughs) just delivering those lines. Um. So, yeah, but that was just a thought I had watching the movie. I'm like, I kind of feel like everyone else is kind of a little better than Ralphie. But Yeah, <laughs> I think he does a good job in a lot of ways, though. He I does. I do like him. He, he, he definitely does in certain scenes. Yeah, and this scene where he is dumbstruck <laughs> staring at Santa is pretty great because he's just like absolutely frozen. <laughs> football? What's a football? <laughs> I imagine that he's, once he meets Santa, he's actually like, Santa is horrifying, you know? <laughs> yeah. When you see his like grotesque jolly nose. Yeah, like, and in like your the face. weird like close-ups that they do with the movie too oh, to like yeah. make it seem like really disturbing. And all the adult elves who are just super mean. Yeah, that one that's like jerking his jingle bell hat like <laughs> over and over. Yeah, yeah. So get going. <laughs> uh so then after uh Ralphie is conned into saying he wants a football and they send him down the slide. This part is just so well done where Ralphie like stops himself on yeah. the slide. Crawls back up <laughs> using like the force of his own like willpower. And the shot of Santa watching him is just so, so funny. He just funny. like does not care. <laughs> he does not give a shit. Like he's just so like disinterested by this kid. My favorite expression though is when he tells him what he actually wants and he gives the whole like BB gum <laughs> spiel and then he just does this like smile he's like "Ah." like i just like did my pitch and like (laughs) yeah yeah and then santa dropping his like whole demeanor completely just tells him you'll shoot your eye out kid and then pushes him down the slide with his foot (laughs) it's a fantastic scene it's so well done i love it Something about this story is very fable-ish, too. It is. With him going, like, to the mom and then to the teacher. You have to go three times. You must ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your request. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's talk about some of the other stories that are wo- woven into this narrative. Yeah. That are also short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, what should we talk about first? We could talk about uh, the bully. The bully, yeah. In the book... His name is Grover Dill. Yeah, which is interesting because he's the toady yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the bully is Scott Farkas. <laughs> Scott? No, Scott. Scott. I, I'm pretty sure it's like S-C-U-T. Oh, weird. 
<laughs> what this, a, this kid what actor a rotten name. is so gross looking. <laughs> I feel like this is one of the biggest um, kind of, not mistakes in the movie, but like Scott Farkas has braces. Yeah. And if this is during the Depression... And he's kind yeah. of made out to be like a grimy, gross kid. Who can afford braces in the Depression? Yeah, no one. <laughs> Does anyone have braces in the Depression? But it also kind of makes him just look grosser, too, in a way. like More like a teenager or loser yeah. type thing. Yeah. Um, but so Scott Farkas and Grover Dill just harass and torment and chase around mm-hmm. Ralphie and his friends and his brother Throughout most of the movie, especially at the beginning. Yeah. And just tormenting and harassing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Scott Farkas and, and... They like to just grab people's arms and twist them around and make them say uncle. Like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the gist of it, yeah. I, I'd say. Um, so a really funny, random little fact, though, is the... They play this this really iconic tune when Scott appears. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of horn, ba 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 ba, and you know it just it sticks in your head with like this little flute trilling. And we were watching Fargo season three not mm-hmm. too long ago, and one of the episodes begins with, uh, I forget if it's like. It's music from the movie Peter and the Wolf. Oh, yeah. And I think it's being introduced where it's like, now the song of Peter. And then they play a little bit. Yeah. And they say, now the song of the wolf. And suddenly, ba 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 ba. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, immediately, like, it just tapped into my cerebellum. I was like, that's Scott Farkas's tune from A Christmas Story. Yeah. And I looked it up and I happened to, I was on IMDb. And when Scott Farkas appears, it's, the wolf theme from Peter and the Wolf. <laughs> That's so funny. Which is very appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> but just when we heard that watching Fargo, like immediately, like one, two notes into that song, and I knew immediately what it was. <laughs> That's how often I've seen this movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> how much it's seared onto your it brain. It is. It is in there. <laughs> um, yeah. So Scott Farkas being a bully, mm-hmm. being an asshole. And then... How does this start in the book story? Well, they're at the bar and they're talking about. Because they see Grover Dill. Oh, yeah. Who's the bully in the book. And he's like, oh, I sure like kicked his ass. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then it goes just kind of explaining him being harassed and bullied. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of describes one day. He talks about the Tasmanian devil. Yes. Oh, my God. I hated this. I thought this was so dumb, too. (laughs) Some of this. Um, I feel like for some of these stories, they had too much build-up introduction. Yeah. Like, they, he just felt like he had to lay this groundwork that was very, like, allegorical and sometimes not related to the story that you would eventually get. Um, and maybe that kind of works in radio, like, kind of building that atmosphere a little bit better. But in the short stories, I was like, what does this have to do with anything? Anyway, in this story, he talks about how Every man has a Tasmanian devil lurking inside him. And he, like, goes on this whole rant about it. Yeah, and, like, talking about, like, the world being a jungle. And I think he talks about, like, women not knowing or understanding this. Oh, yeah, the evil or, like, the darkness inside men or wildness. Why do you think you understand what women go through, you know? Yeah, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I was going to say, on top of the whole lengthy buildup to some of these stories... 
Because when you add that on top of the quote unquote present day with him and Flick at the bar, yeah, like you get a setup. It seems like a lot of buildup. Yeah, you get a setup and intro then, yeah. and then you get more setup and intro. Yeah, sometimes because of another Ralphie in the future moment, mm-hmm. and then him getting allegorical about one bullshit thing or another i don't i don't care but yeah <laughs> it's just a lot of build-up to finally get because like you start the story and you honestly have no idea what it's about yeah like you have no idea um and so the basic moral of this tale was oh the tasmanian devil comes out and ralphie on this day and he beats the shit out of grover dill <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great this there's a line from the book that's used uh actually in the movie but it, it's referring to the old man yeah fighting the furnace mm-hmm. and I, I just love the line in the movie so much where he says in the heat of battle my father wove a tapestry of obscenities that to that is still hanging in space over lake michigan <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the book it's ralphie that uh utters the tapestry of obscenities yeah as he's beating up grover dill and i love this scene in the movie. It's yeah. so great. It's it's cool too because you don't actually hear him swearing. No. But you can tell he's just like muttering. He's like, and like you know he's saying a bunch of stuff, but this is actually a thing because um they wanted the movie to be rated PG. Uh-huh. And this goes also to the dad who when he's fighting the furnace. Yeah. Because he also just had to ramble mutter incoherently. Yeah. And he just because the actor talked about, yeah, I couldn't swear at all, but I had to sound like I was swearing. So he just Friggin' frazzle, <laughs> frazzle, razzle, basil, <laughs> basically the whole time. So and yeah. that's what Ralphie does beating up Flick. Mm-hmm. And I just love because Schwartz and Flick are both or I'm sorry, I said beating up Flick. I meant beating up Scott. Yeah. And Schwartz and Flick are both watching just awestruck and like yeah. all the kids are watching Ralphie just <laughs> clobber Scott. Yeah. And I I'm, love when the mom comes and I forget if it's either Flick or Schwartz is like, Ralphie, stop, stop, stop your mom. <laughs> and this is such a great scene between Ralphie and his mom, though. It is. And I just wanted to mention that when she pulls Ralphie off of Scott, <laughs> she takes Ralphie home and does. Oh, not, yeah. She doesn't she even does, acknowledge. No, him. <laughs> he's like bleeding from the nose on the floor and she just leaves him. Yeah. She's like, bye. She's like, I know what was going on. <laughs> But it's sweet because, of course, Ralphie immediately starts crying and he like can't believe what he did, but he obviously just snapped. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she can tell that this boy was probably antagonizing Ralphie for a long time. And maybe she's noticed that he's been the neighborhood bully. I'm not sure. But she really does kind of believe that Ralphie, you know, wasn't really at fault in this Mm -hmm. circumstance that he kind of had enough at this point. And it's just a really sweet scene where she kind of like she washes his face and just kind of like calms him down and then like tells him to lay down and everything. And then when the dad (laughs) comes in, (laughs) I I was thinking of Randy. Oh, yeah. Randy hides under the sink because he thinks that uh, the old man's going to kill Ralphie. Yeah. (laughs) And he won't come out from under the sink. So then the mom just gets him milk and then just. Oh, that was so sweet, too. I know. She's such a good mom. She's so good. No one deserves her. No, they don't. She's so pure and great. I know. Don't you like miss being able to like fit? In like the cabinets. Oh yeah. Of shit. 
Absolutely. Like, I love doing that. I was so small and compact. I know. I could, like, hide. Flexible. I could hide anywhere. <laughs> I feel like when you're a kid, you're just made of, like, your bones Taffy. are, like, well, yeah, your bones are, like, titanium, and your yeah. body's just, like, hard rubber, and you could just, like, jump from any height. And yeah, just, and you'd be fine. You're totally fine. And then you get to, like, 20 and then your body is just like, nope, not anymore. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're stronger now, but also like, don't slip on the ice because you'll <laughs> probably break a leg or something. Yeah. Also, like, don't reach too far under the bed. I've done that before where I've like tried to grab something under the bed. Yeah. And I like somehow like extend my shoulder muscle and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> but like, I remember being a kid and literally crawling under the bed and being like, I can just hang out down here. For like forever. Yeah. Just chill down here. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> we had this um, like cabinet uh, bedside stand that we had a lamp on in my living room. Mm-hmm. And it had these like two doors that opened. It was like hexagonal shaped. And when I took everything out of there, I could fold my entire body and fit in there. Oh, my God. All of me and close the doors. And it was bananas. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway. Anyway. <laughs> when uh, the old man gets home uh, and, and Ralphie's just so worried. He's like, he's going to know the, the awful things that I said. Yeah. He talks about. And in the move in the book, it's like even more extreme where Ralphie is just like sick to his stomach. Yeah. He's so nervous and so afraid. Up. Yeah. He throws up his mm-hmm. dinner and. And the mom tells the dad, but in such a nonchalant way, and then immediately distracts him. With something else. With something else. And, and Ralphie just realizes, like, oh, my God, like, I'm not going to die. <laughs> and my mom is actually really great. Yeah. It's it, sweet. It, it's a really great. And then he says, like, things after that were different between me and my mom, mm-hmm. which I really liked. Yeah. Even though. It's not really that Were they? <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit, but it's a nice sentiment. But, it is. But were they? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the dad now mm. in the next uh, kind of big section of the movie and in the book. Uh, pop art slash sexy leg lamp. The leg lamp story. <laughs> and I think the important context for this is that it is the depression. Yes. And I think that is sometimes a context that is lacking in the movie, that it's a little bit harder to tell. Yeah, and, and I really liked this story in the book because it it plays out the same, but you just get more... Context. More context, yeah, and more insight into the old man and the time. Mm-hmm. And, and like we said, I, I think the depression era, which is much more present in the book, is just very informative and interesting. Yeah. And, and they talk about... And, you know, you see the old man in the movie doing, like, puzzles Mm -hmm. and stuff all the time in the newspaper for prizes. But reading the book, he really talks about, you know, this was a really big thing at that point. Yeah. People did this all the time. They loved doing puzzles. They were Mm -hmm. different kinds and trivia-related ones. And, like, you'd mail them in and you could get prizes. And in the book, it was, like, a sports-related thing the old man was doing for, like, months where he had to keep... Sending in next round, the next mm-hmm. round, we move on, then have to have new questions sent to him. It was like this whole ordeal. Yeah, and there were $50,000 in prizes, I think, yeah. as, as it was stated. Mm-hmm. So when he gets the leg lamp in the mail. It's a, kind of a big thing. It is. like he worked all these months 
for this has kind of been waiting to win one of these for a long time. Yeah. And they do mention it in the movie. Like, I won. Like, it's my prize. I won it. But we have, like, much less of a context for that. Yeah. And also, he and he kind of brings that up poignantly in different moments where he talks about, I forget... It's in relation to kind of a funny scene, but he describes as the only thing his old man ever won. Yeah. Which kind of brings this like sadness to it. Mm -hmm. Because I think in the movie you get the idea that, oh, the old man loves this because it's like a sexy object. Yeah. And that's definitely a part two of the story. Uh Uh-huh. But really it's kind of almost a little sadder in the book. It's more of a symbol of his worth. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. something that he just liked because he won and earned. and Yeah. So... Yeah, I really liked the story in relation to the movie mm-hmm. and learning more about it and the old man. Yeah, and they talk about it being pop art before it's time. <laughs> yeah. Because this is like the depression. Mm-hmm. And to have something like a woman's leg but lit up is very kind of like a 60s yeah. style yeah. of, you know, this commercial art, like yeah. making advertisement into art. And you see that a lot, like in later artists and like with Andy Warhol and stuff. Oh, too. yeah. And they in the short story, they talk about him being in an art museum and looking at a display of pop art. And that brings his memory back of his dad's. Lo- uh, I almost said lava lamp. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was a lava lamp? Oh, my God. Shaped like a leg still. Yeah, it would be so mesmerizing. Ooh, that'd be cool. It would have been a lot more uh of a mess when the mom broke it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did like, though, because, you know, this is one of those stories that starts with Ralphie in the future mm-hmm. looking at pop art in the museum. And he's looking at this piece that has a mannequin arm sticking in the air. Yeah. And he's looking at it and he kind of like positions himself like where this cup, like a red solo cup on the table. He kind of like lines it up with the arm. Yeah. And this sparks the memory. And it took me a minute. I'm like, what is he talking about? I didn't even catch it when I read it. And it's probably only because I've seen this movie a hundred times. And, but like <laughs> I was I realized I'm like, oh, he's lining it up to look like the cup to look like the lampshade. Yeah. On the mannequin arm mm-hmm. to make it look like the lamp. Like that's what he's now. If I didn't know the movie or what was going to come about in this story, would I have had any idea what he was talking about? Probably not. Yeah. But it was it, it was a little interesting and a little you know, of a unique way to start the story off. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. I don't like, I remember not liking this about the movie when yeah. I first watched it. Cause I felt like it was very like kind of laughing at women. Mm. Like kind of being like, Oh, like the mom didn't like it because yeah. it was like sexy. And she was feeling like she was being mocked. Mm. Yeah. Or, some like sexual ideal was being like held up and she was being put down. And so I just, and I am more fine with it now. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's just like a funny story, but I yeah. remember watching it like as a teen and never seeing it before and just being really uncomfortable. And I think as a teen too, being like just beginning to become sexual, things like that feel very sensitive. And sometimes yeah. I still feel that mm-hmm. like, it's very like, mocking of women in a lot of ways so it did make me uncomfortable yeah and the way the dad is just so focused on that is also kind of a weird because it's like and ralphie's trying to like caress it and it's really (laughs) weird (laughs) i kind of i laugh at that because it's just like 
he's too young to even understand it. Yeah. You know, and the mom is like, oh, God, this is like, I don't want to have to, like, talk about or explain any of this. And she's just trying to distract the kids, <laughs> yeah. like, getting in the way. And in the book, I think he describes as, like, she got in the way, she got in between us and the fantastic limb. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that description. But, um, yeah, the, the one thing I really do like about this story, though, and in the, in the movie and book, uh, the book explains a little bit more, but, like, there's this tension between them and then obviously the mom breaks it and the yeah. dad's very upset about it. And like in the book, in the movie, he goes and buries it in the backyard. Yeah. But then that's it. Mm-hmm. There's no like resolution. Gr- there's no, well, there, yeah, there's no grudge mm-hmm. that like hangs between them yeah. and there's nothing. And I kind of like when stories do this sometimes, especially with married couples. Yeah. Cause sometimes incidents like this in movies are built up to this like, big climax huge fight yeah it becomes this whole symbol of like deeper of their like decaying marriage yeah yeah <laughs> and but it's just kind of eh, it's, it's a fight between a married it's couple something that happens yeah like. <laughs> and it just kind of moves on and i yeah. like that sometimes and i like that in this story mm-hmm. and in the book he talks about they were they didn't talk to each other for a few days yeah and then one day his dad was just like you know i like the living room this way and the Mm -hmm. mom was like you know i didn't mean to break it and then they're like let's go out and get dinner and then that was it (laughs) yeah you know so (laughs) i just kind of like that portrait of married life yeah where it's like there are fights and sometimes they are just about stupid things Mm -hmm. and it's not like the decaying marriage it's just like yeah a fight yeah so (laughs) i I like that about the story Mm mm-hmm what next? What? The decoder pin? Oh, yeah. The decoder decoder pin. Decoder. <laughs> <laughs> Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> Little Orphan Annie. It should have been our first clue that this story takes place in the Depression. When we're watching yeah, the yeah. Like, they're listening to a radio program, and it's mm-hmm. like, that's very Depression era. But he's listening to this Little Orphan Annie segment. And at the end of every segment, they talk about how there's a secret message for Little Orphan (laughs) Annie's secret club. And you have to have a decoder pin in order to decode this message. And of course, Ralphie is like consumed as he is with everything (laughs) that he decides is important that day. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to drink Ovaltine and like send in like the inside of a can. Yeah. But they don't drink Ovaltine <laughs> in his town. Like, no one drinks Ovaltine. So he, like, steals... This is all in the book. Yeah. So he has to steal, like, the labels from his, like, neighbor's garbage because they're yeah. just throwing them out. Like, like schmucks. They're just throwing out this gold. <laughs> and so he mails in his neighbors. And this is, like... I, I think... I wish they spent a little bit more... It's a throwaway line in the movie where he says weeks of drinking Ovaltine. <laughs> but really... This is the funniest aspect of the entire story is that he spends weeks drinking Ovaltine to finally decode this message. And of course, he decodes it and it just says, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. This is like, for me, this story is probably the best story in the whole collection, like in the movie and in the book, because it is such a portrait of like what consumes you as a child and what you think is important <laughs> only to find out that advertisers advertisers have been lying to you. <laughs> I, I love the line in the movie, which isn't in the book, but after he decodes it and both the book and movie version are pretty the, identical. The same. Yeah. Him doing it in the bathroom. 
And after he decodes it and reads it, he's just like a crummy commercial. And he's like, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the narrator says, like, I went back out into the world like a wiser man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just the irony. And and this kind of touches on and something I like about the book specifically relating to the title yeah in god we trust all others pay cash Mm -hmm. and touching on a big theme in a lot of these stories is kind of about consumerism yes especially especially like in this time period capitalism Mm -hmm. advertisement that whole like corporate greed individual greed and also just you know how these effects on people and how it affects like everybody and especially kids there's this really dumb part in the book that where he talks about meeting this crazy person who's like disarm the toy industry and she's like of course this crazy woman crusader who's like get guns out of like our children's toys and he's like oh this crazy person but she talks about how all these corporations are advertising the children and like trying to get them to like this stuff and i'm like it's so true because like he talks about how he wants this Red Rider BB gun. And the reason mm-hmm. he wants it is because it's in this magazine that he reads for boys. Yeah. And it's like on display as this like fancy Christmas gift. And so he's like, I have to have it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and like, he's consumed by that. And it's like how the old man was consumed by the lamp. Yeah. And uh, the, the decoder pin, like mm-hmm. all this kind of relating to uh, advertising and, consumerism and capitalism and all these things kind of tied together and also like our nostalgia for the past yeah and and it's something where i can't quite tell what the author's angle on this is because in some ways his writing is like so self-aware yeah when he's writing from his childhood perspective about like the seriousness of like getting these things and it being very important and Mm -hmm. like you know the story about him having a crush on his teacher and like running away together. Like you're, you're you're clearly reading like, you know, the absurdity. Mm -hmm. But so a scene like with this crazy older woman talking about, uh, the gun issue with toys. Yeah. And older Ralphie brushing her off. I'm like, feels less self-aware. Yeah. And I can't tell. Yeah. It doesn't feel self-aware. No, it feels like it's actually mocking this woman. Yeah. But I, but on the other hand, so much of the evidences, evidences <laughs> I don't, uh, of the stories points to, like, her being right. Yeah. So I don't know what it's kind of saying mm-hmm. in a way. I, it's, I, it's almost like things are screwed up and absurd, but, like, kids will be kids. Yeah. And, like, this is the way it always is type thing. Not really thinking things could be different, I don't think. No. And it's, you know... So many characters in these stories kind of get screwed over by these advertising campaigns and things like that. Yeah. And it, even though it's like an issue, it, it does take it lightheartedly, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's the kind of story it is. Yeah. But that's still kind of the point is that people are getting duped. Yeah. And spending their money and yeah. And even though it's kind placing of placing their hopes in something. Yeah. And even though it's kind of nostalgic for this time period in a way, it's still about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I liked that theme that ran through a lot of the stories, but at the end of the day, I qu- wasn't quite sure that it accomplished 
anything. Yeah. 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 This reminds me of one of the uh, parts in the book that isn't in the movie. And mm-hmm. we just want to talk about a couple of those um, stories in the book. But there's one where this movie theater, as a promotion, decides <laughs> to give out one piece of like a 120 piece dining set every Friday for every woman not man, every yeah, woman yeah. that comes. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like this way to keep people coming back. And by the end, if they come, they're going to have this whole 120 piece dining set. And I like the context for this because they describe how like it's the depression. Nobody has like matching no. dining anything. Like it's just a bunch of like plastic shit all cobbled together. So like people come in droves, but then it sort of fails and they get too many gravy boats. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they so, have like, to keep giving out gravy boats every week yeah four weeks in a, in a row these housewives show up and they get like a fifth gravy boat yeah and finally they've had enough and they go to the movie screening and then they just start throwing the gravy boats at this guy <laughs> on like the stage yeah and it causes like this riot and the police have to come and then the theater shut down it's like the ruin of it all but it kind of like this idea of consumerism uh having things and it kind of becoming this mania yeah (laughs) yeah and this is another one of those stories where i'm like is this kind of like depicting women as being hostile and kind of crazy yeah or Or is it just the culture yeah it wasn't like overtly that way no if if it was i mean they were given like five gravy boats i know it's understandable at what point they're like i can afford to throw a few of these (laughs) at this man (laughs) how many gravy boats can one person stand adina yeah that was actually the story that ended it uh this was kind of something with these stories and the way it's written is like when the story is good and when it's talking about something that is funny and that i like for example, the marching band story. Yeah. I really liked the marching band story. And mm-hmm. maybe it's because I was in marching band. Yeah. Uh, it talks about like the sousaphone and the kind of person who plays the sousaphone. <laughs> and it, once again, it's very, um, I don't know what the word, taking it over overly seriously. Yeah. And, and, you know, making all these wild comparisons. But it's very funny. And like I was engaged like that entire story. Mm-hmm. And in that way, his writing is very effective and it's very funny. Yeah. But when I'm not into a story or when it's talking about something that I don't care about. Yeah. It's just kind of painful. It is. It's very hard to like push through. Like I found myself skimming large portions where it just started onto a topic that I just didn't care about. Yeah. Like the the one story where they go fishing. Yeah. That story was so long because it starts out talking about this crappy like lake Mm -hmm. in their kind of town area and it talks so much about the lake and about like this roller rink nearby and all this other stuff and then it actually starts talking about them going fishing and it's like so different than what it's again with this setup and it feels so long and drawn out and i just didn't care about any of it and not every story has like these great ironic endings like the uh, decoder pin story yeah like some of them just kind of end and i was like what like the fishing story uh it's kind of about him getting an experience with his dad yeah and kind of like becoming a man be- kind of yeah kind of becoming a man but 
at the end of the day, when it ended, I was like, what was the real point of that yeah, really was, long story? Yeah. Uh, and he so, caught some fish. Yeah. That's it. The candy story was another one that I felt that way about. But you, yeah. you kind of like. I just liked it because it was funny. Like the whole story is just about how adults in his time now are like reaping the consequences of just eating a shit ton of candy all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I think like when you think of a time where people weren't as diligent about public health, you know, and mm-hmm. brushing your teeth and stuff and weren't like, Oh no, sugar is bad. They're like, what's this sugar? Cool. And <laughs> the, give me 20 gallons. And of the, it. they talk specifically about like jawbreakers and how you would just kind of like nestle it in your mouth and like <sighs> suck on it for yeah. like hours and it just slowly decays your mouth. And so I kind of just liked that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The story itself wasn't that interesting. It was like, oh, no, the store owner won't, won't sell us the specific jawbreaker that we want. Like, yeah. that didn't really matter. But I just like that idea of like, oh, it was like an innocent time where we thought we could just eat all the candy that we wanted and it would be OK. And then it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's another kind of funny story where Ralphie goes on a blind date. Yeah. With this girl who ends up being super attractive. Uh huh. And he's just kind of rambling to her forever on Ugh. the bus. And then it slowly dawns on him that he's the blind date. Like they he, were trying to get him. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And he just immediately like because he like talks about dressing up in this suit and mm-hmm. this tie that is clearly huge. But he thinks like looks good. Yeah. And then when he realizes he's the blind date, like there's a line where he, he looks down at his tie, which was four feet wide. <laughs> <laughs> but uh that was kind of a funny one yeah um the auction story yeah what did you think about this one it felt kind of out of place mm-hmm. in most of these stories in this in the auction story um you find out like ralphie comes home one day and there's like these signs all over the neighborhood that they're doing a sheriff sale mm-hmm. or a state sale of this one neighbor's property and it's basically like you don't pay your taxes on some stuff, and then they basically auction off. Well, all I your think property. it's when you take a loan. Oh, okay. And you, you know, put your possessions up as collateral, and then if you can't pay that loan, oh, I was they also, didn't explain that. No, it was like one line because later when Ralphie is talking about like I never took out any loans, yeah, that I couldn't pay, and I was like, oh, they probably just put like their possessions up as collateral because the they loans. just said it was like a tax. Well, yeah, because the story starts off talking about a tax examiner. Yeah, it's like him going to increase your taxes based on like what I guess what, what tax you bracket yeah. you're in, what, what you own. Yes, yeah, so I was also a little like what? confused. I'm like, I mean, this is during the Depression. I don't know how things worked back yeah. then, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So I'm guessing I think they took out a loan that they couldn't pay back. OK, I see now. Yeah, yeah. which probably a lot of people had to do back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, But yeah, so the story. Ralphie, Ralphie's one friend, it's his family, mm-hmm. and they live kind of across the street, and then all their shit gets auctioned off one day, and yeah. then he basically never sees his friend again. Yeah. And I thought this was a really interesting story, only because, once again, the time of this story is a kid growing up during the Depression. Yeah. And even though that's a serious subject that impacted him as a kid, he's kind of oblivious to a lot of it. Oh yeah. And so this is kind of an interesting story where he is suddenly faced with a little bit more of the seriousness 
of what's going on. Yeah. And I kind of like that in terms of a, a coming of age kind of element of the story. Mm-hmm. I would have liked it more, I think, if we had seen more growth with Ralphie and he was True. a character that actually like growed and changed. But because the story's like, there's that one story of him going on a blind date, like pretty early in the book. So he mm-hmm. like starts off young. He's like 14. And then we go back to him being young again. It's really hard to get a gauge on like what's happening with him in terms of personal development. Yeah. So like if this was like part of his general arc, I think I would have liked it better. As it stood just in this collection of stories about this character we don't really understand, I was like, this doesn't really fit. Yeah, I can see that. No, I I, I, I totally get that mm-hmm. and your feelings on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. I'm very open-minded. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think those are most of the stories that were discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now let's get back to the movie. Yes. And it's Christmas. And Ralphie's dreams are all about to come true. (laughs) Yes. He runs downstairs and they are like opening presents like crazy. Mm -hmm. And something I thought was interesting was, you know, we see the mom get some presents and Randy get some presents. And in the book, we find out like, oh, Ralphie was the one who got Randy the Zeppelin. Yeah. And his dad, the can of Simon eyes. Mm -hmm. And Um, mom uh, perfume. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of like these objects appear in the movie, but without context of who got who what. Yeah. And the Frankenstein mask. Yeah. And the Frankenstein mask. Yeah. That was a part. That was what Randy got Ralphie. Yeah. And it's not really shown, but you can actually see it in one of the shots just Mm -hmm. laying on the floor. So I thought that was a, a nice, fun little touch. Yeah. Uh. The bunny slippers. Yes. So in the movie, of course, we all know the scene where Ralphie gets that bunny, pink bunny suit mm-hmm. from his aunt. And it's horrible. In the book, it's only slippers. So less dramatic. Yeah, it, it's kind of more of just a funny little thing. And, and I guess it is in the movie, too. But obviously, it's played up more for a visual gag yeah. in the movie. Uh, so they open up all their gifts and Ralphie is kind of like, yeah, it, it was a good Christmas. And, and then, of course, the dad points out, well, what's that, what's that by the wall? Mm-hmm. And, and Ralphie runs over. And, of course, it's the Red Rider BB gun. Little did he know when he appealed to his mother, his teacher and to Santa, he should have been appealing to his dad the whole time. Yeah. And I really <laughs> like this part of the story. I mean, yeah. Should his old man have talked to his mom about it? Because she's totally caught off guard. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) But I do like that the old man who sometimes seems... Like he's not interested in his kids. Yeah, exactly. Like actually does care about his kids and is... Paying attention at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and so I really... And like his old man is as giddy almost as Ralphie is opening it and like, yeah, it makes a comment. Like I had one at his age. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I did like that kind of satisfying kind of conclusion that it was his, his dad that got him the gun when he didn't even ask him. It was his dad the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) The twist was he was his dad that entire time. It's crazy. I had no clue. I thought he was just some guy living in the house. (laughs) Yeah. Of Uh, course, we know what happens next, or maybe you don't. I don't know. I'm making assumptions. (laughs) He goes out to try out the gun in the backyard He's all set. He loads it up. He's like, I'll shoot at a metal sign. I'm excited. And then, of course, the bullet ricochets 
and hits him in the eye. <laughs> and of course, the narrator, the first line is, oh, my God, I shot my eye out. <laughs> Luckily, Ralphie has glasses. So the glasses took the brunt of the uh, pain from mm-hmm. the from the BB and they do get smashed. And Ralphie's pretty quick on his feet, coming up with a plausible lie. Um, <laughs> so his mother doesn't think he actually shot himself with his own BB gun. Yeah. Which he did. <laughs> <laughs> and so the mom believes it and like takes him upstairs and like helps him out. And this goes back to the, did things really change between him and his mom? Because yeah. he's kind of back to like, just kind of lying to her. Trying to trick her. Trying to get away with stuff. So. Yeah debatable <laughs> if he actually changed it all mm-hmm. uh following this we get the invasion of the bump the bumpfus hounds <laughs> i'm glad you remember all these specific things i think it's bumpfus and not bump bumpus bumpfus yeah <laughs> i think uh basically these neighbors hound dogs that are always bothering the old man when he gets home from work just and I was a little confused. I'm like, did the mom and Ralphie leave the door open? Maybe when they came inside. But it mm-hmm. looks like the dogs are coming from like the front door. Yeah. So I, I was a little unsure. Well, it looked like the screen door was broken, like broken mm. later when he's like chasing them out. Yeah. So I don't know if it was maybe open for some reason. And then the screen door just got busted through. A little uncertain. Yes. But the dogs come inside and eat eat the turkey they eat the entire turkey and take it away with them (laughs) uh they're all devastated because of course what is christmas without a turkey supper yeah uh but they decide to go to a chinese restaurant instead yeah and we get probably the most unfortunate gag of the movie yeah which is just uh chinese uh americans trying to sing Christmas music. Yeah. And of course, oh no, they have accents and they can't pronounce things correctly. And let's make fun of that. Yeah. It's of course them singing, uh, deck the halls, Mm -hmm. which of course is full of laws, which are hard for, uh, many Asian Americans to pronounce. Yeah. And that's the joke. Yep. (laughs) And that's how (laughs) it ends. (laughs) That's the whole gag. Uh, I read something interesting where the mom, so remember they bring the duck out. Oh, yeah. And the mom is having this weird reaction that is like crying and laughing. Uh, So and apparently they kind of misinformed the mom on purpose about what the scene was going to entail. And she didn't know the duck was going to come out with his head still on. (laughs) So she was, I think, having this nervous reaction that she was probably trying to hide because of the scene. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course... The guy who brings it out t- chops the head off in yeah. front of her and she screams, She's like, oh! <laughs> which I thought was really funny. But yeah. like, uh, but yeah, apparently that was kind of a prank on her. Mm-hmm. And that's why her reaction is so like, what, what, what is, is she, she doing? doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> but despite the unfortunate joke of it, I, I do like that scene that it's them still coming together for Christmas and yeah. enjoying it together. Mm-hmm. Uh. Ralphie goes to bed that night, dreaming of beautiful hip shots. Yeah. Uh, holding his gun. Holding his in gun. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and we also get this nice little moment in the movie where the mom is just turning off the lights downstairs and yeah. the dad is watching the snow outside. And, and they just kind of sit together. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that little moment. It's yeah. like the only it's time. It's an adult moment. It is. It's the only time we see them, I think. 
out of the context of their children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just this nice. I, I, I like that moment a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's the end. That is the end. And the book basically is the same. It just like comes to a close. Ralphie's like, hey, Flick, remember our friend Schwartz and how he was killed in the war? <laughs> okay, well, got to go by. <laughs> yeah, Schwartz was shot down in Italy. Yeah, because they, they all served in World War II. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. Jeez. Yeah. Which is like, of all the things, of all the people to like mention that you're wondering about, like yeah. Flick was not the first, per- or Schwartz was not the first person I was like, Where's he? What's going on yeah, with him? Yeah, what about your family, Ralphie? Yeah. <laughs> Why have you not visited your parents? You're, What's going on? You'll sit with Flick at his bar for like 10 hours yeah. talking about nothing. And then where are your parents, Ralphie? Yeah. But we never get an answer. No. Other than Flick died. <laughs> Schwartz died. Or Schwartz died. God damn it. I keep calling him Flick. <laughs> Schwartz died. <laughs> and All that's right. it. All right. Which one? Which one's better? I actually uh, will lead this one off because I've actually thought about this for once. Mm -hmm. After giving it much thought and watching the movie again Mm -hmm. from beginning to end like a human and not just on TV perpetually. (laughs) Not just trapped in a Christmas hell. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I do like the movie better, I think. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, even though the writing style of the book can be funny uh, when it's good. It's also equally grueling when the story isn't as interesting. It's uneven. Yeah, it is. But when just those lines thrown in by the narrator throughout the movie are like the sweetest nuggets. Like those are like the best lines. Yeah. And they sticked out to me and I remember them and love them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that works really well for me in the movie. A lot of the jokes and stories also work and translate well into the movie mm-hmm. as, as well as with the characters like i think both parents are really good in the movie uh and and for a movie that came out in the 80s like despite the uh gag at the end with the chinese restaurant mm-hmm. like it, it's pretty it holds up pretty well and is yeah. pretty like not offensive unoffensive in, <laughs> in most ways yeah which is surprising so uh yeah there's not a lot in the movie that is like that you don't like that sticks out to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as I, as me not liking it. So, but mm-hmm. quite a bit in the book that despite some stories, me really liking, there's a lot that doesn't stack up. So, uh, I'm going to agree with you and say that movie. Yeah. I really struggled reading this book. Um, mm-hmm. it was kind of hard for me to get through at times. Same. Mostly because I have so many other books checked out right now from the library <laughs> and I'm like, I need to read them Yeah. and I want to read them and I didn't really want to read this. Uh, but I did, you know, finish it. Um, we've talked about the reasons that we don't like it. Another thing that we haven't mentioned is there is a specific part in here that is very, um, homophobic and uses a slur against um people who are gay or queer um i'm just gonna like read you the passage really quick because yeah honestly it's not that he made this offensive remark that's shocking it was just very thrown into a story came out of it came out of nowhere like it felt so strange and he's basically talking and this is in the fishing story where he's talking about wanting to become an adult and being a kid and wanting to graduate to an adult so he's saying that 
you know, kids are always trying to become adults. And let me start out the paragraph. It does not start out well. (laughs) Girls somehow seem to be already involved, as though from birth, they've got the word. Lolita has no male counterpart. It does no good to protest and pretend otherwise. The fact is inescapable. A male kid is really a kid. A female kid is a girl. Some guys give up early in life, surrender completely before the impassable transparent wall, and remain little kids forever. They are called fags or homosexuals if you are in polite society. Yeah. So I'm sorry to say that. (laughs) I don't like uh, saying those things out loud, but I just wanted you to hear like exactly what this piece of writing has to say here. It starts out claiming that women are never kids. Mm -hmm. They're always women, which implies that women are sexual their whole lives, even as children. Yeah. Making the Lolita comparison, which for anyone who doesn't know, Lolita is a story about how old is she in the Uh, 13? Yeah, a 13 year old girl in a relationship, like a yeah. romantic relationship. Being sexually molested by an adult by man. By an adult man. But it's like. Her fault. Yeah, it, yeah it, it's like depicted as being like an actual relationship and yeah. not rape. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It makes me so angry. So, yeah, but like, you know, he's making one totally different statement. And then suddenly he throws out the, like the F word yeah. from nowhere. And you're yeah. like, I was reading this in a coffee shop yeah. and I almost was like, ah, like I almost just it's like. so startling. Yeah. I was startled too. I was just reading it on my, on my lunch break at work and was just like, oh my God, like out of nowhere. And I immediately texted Ian and I was like, you're going to get to a part. And when you get to it, you'll like know what it is. <laughs> yeah. There was another part that came before that I thought was going to be the part. Yeah. Where it's talking about like star power mm. and like people like owning their star power and knowing it. And one of the examples he uses is Hitler. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. But I wrote it down because I was like, in, he was talking about how some people just have it. But the only people that he listed <laughs> were, were Stalin <laughs> and Hitler. As people who had made it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I know. I was like, I mean, yeah, no one's going to deny that. That They had charisma. Had charisma. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how they got people on their side. I don't think they made it anywhere but to death. Those are your prime examples. Like, you're not going to say, like, Charlie Chaplin or, like, (laughs) any of the countless better Movie stars. Yeah. Yeah. Politicians. No. So. Weird. Like, yeah, like, despite, like, kind of annoying generalizations about the sexes in this story. Yeah. In in this book, like, they're kind of like, eh, this is, you know, antiquated thinking or, like, kind of annoying. Yeah, it was written in the 60s, whatever. Yeah, it was, like, mostly, like, passable or forgivable. And then, like, that one part was just so... First of all, implies that women are always sexual and can never be children. And then second of all, implies that if you're gay or queer, it means that you never grew up and you're always a child. This must have been some bullshit like Freudian like reasoning for like, oh, what makes people homosexual? Like clearly they've never developed like mentally beyond whatever. Like, I'm sure it was some bullshit antiquated thought about that. I don't, I have no clue. I don't care. It's just like kind of important, I think, for people to know reading that now because it's very like offensive and rude and like out of nowhere. So yeah. Cause even if it, it's a story about growing up in the depression, it's pretty like fun and like yeah. goofy and kind of a romp. 
And but then Jesus, that comes out of nowhere. It's so startling. So yeah. uh, we just thought as people, you know, as people who are wanting to be aware and critical of stories from a representational standpoint. Yeah. You know, we always try to be fair about that and bring stuff up no matter what the story is. And this certainly deserved a criticism. Criticism. Yes. <laughs> a big old. We just need to stop reading books from the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> Can we stop? Please don't make me read anymore. <laughs> Can we please stop? It was like the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ooh, Fahrenheit yeah. 451. I think that was the 70s, but like. <sighs> yeah. <we laughs> Let's should. take a break. <laughs> Somehow. Emma, which was written way before I know. all of those, is like way better. Yeah, wait, although it, it mostly just excludes. I mean, it does. It did make fun of the gypsies, so that's true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you can't win them all, Adina. <laughs> that's our motto. Can't win them all. Movie. Movie. We both agree. Okay. Lightning round. Let's go to lightning round. So there are a couple pretty great literary references in this book that I appreciated, despite my kind of menace about the book in general. Yeah. One of them is there's this episode where 13 year old Ralphie accidentally backs his dad's car out of the garage and scrapes the driver's side fender, the back. Mm -hmm. And the whole time, like his dad hasn't noticed it yet, but he's like feeling guilty about it and he's waiting. And there's this kind of throwaway line, like a 13 year old Raskolnikov like sizzling in his own guilt. Which is a reference to crime, uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Whoa. And which is a Russian novel in which the main character, Raskolnikov, actually kills a woman and then is just the whole rest of the book really upset and feeling guilty about it. And we have to hear about it for the whole book. <laughs> I actually didn't know what that book was about. Yeah. He like takes an axe to her. So Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And then he eventually turns himself in. But funny. Literary reference in there. Another one is um, Ralphie does this like book report on uh, the Decameron, which is actually this old Italian story. Yeah. Um, where, <laughs> which is like, there's certain parts of it that are kind of raunchy, like not yeah. the whole thing, but he reads it and he has no idea what he's reading because it's super old and he doesn't understand the entire context of it. But it's a story about these nuns who want to like lie with this man who's mute and like all this stuff. And as I'm reading, I'm like, oh my God, it's that, it's this, the basis for this one movie that we watched yeah, called The Little Hours. We weren't even told at this point it was the Decameron. No. Because Ralphie didn't know what it was. Yeah. But he's describing this story and I was like, oh my God, we watched this. This yeah. is a movie we watched. <laughs> and it's a movie that stars Aubrey Plaza. James and Franco. James Franco and um, Annie from Community, Allison Brie. Yeah. Uh, weird. It's a strange Interesting movie. movie. Yeah. Like funny and also weirdly sexy. About these like sexy nuns, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but also very funny. Yeah. So, but yeah, I just, we both, I think, had this epiphany reading it like, oh my God, it's the little hours. <laughs> uh, I had another line that I really wanted to read because it just like cracked me up so much. It's during the, the plastic leg incident. <laughs> and Ralphie says, or the narrator, the book, 
To this day, I can still see my father wearing a straw hat, swearing under his breath, walking around a shattered plastic lady's leg, a Freudian image to make Edward Albee's best effort pale into insignificance. <laughs> I just laughed so hard at him describing this his image dad. as Freudian of his dad, like walking around a broken plastic lady's legs. I'm like, that is really probably very accurate and very funny, like him remembering this. Yeah. So, yeah. There are a lot of references, too, in the book to Abercrombie and Fitch, which is very confusing to someone who's like Abercrombie and Fitch, like the clothing store, like the preppy clothing store. That place in the mall that I walk past quickly because it's dark and And creepy. And it like smells like the smell coming out. It is like kind of really makes you want to faint. Anyway, (laughs) we looked it up. And Abercrombie and Fitch, Fitch used to be like a sporting goods store, mm-hmm. kind of like um, a Cabela's type place yeah. that so- sold sporting goods equipment, guns, like all that type of stuff. And then they went out of business and then another company bought the name Abercrombie and Fitch and focused more on like sports wear. Yeah. And then that shifted into the disaster that we know today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's the long history of Abercrombie and Fitch. It was just very confusing to read that in the book and be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah, because he talked about his dad buying fishing equipment from there. And I'm like, what the (laughs) Like, Did they say fishing equipment? Like, yeah, what the hell is Abercrombie and Fitch? I don't think I know anymore. I'm like, I've never been in there, so who knows? There might be fishing equipment. Um, my other little factoid starts off with a question, Adina. Okay. I'm curious. What would you guess was the age difference between Ralphie's parents in the movie? Mm. She does look younger than him. Mm-hmm. I'd say maybe 10 years. 19 years oh that's so gross (laughs) isn't shocking though like she doesn't look that young though no and i think probably it's like he probably doesn't look quite that old and she looks older because of i think like the hairstyle and stuff like that too where like there is an age difference but it's very surprising how much of an age difference yeah there is between them oh my gosh I'm not as like grossed out because it just isn't as obvious. Like yeah. it's not as like in most movies where, you know, aging An- Anthony Hopkins yeah. is married to like a 30 year old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that that's my other little interesting factoid. And that's it. That's lightning round. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. Hope on you enjoyed Christmas it. Story. If you're in the mood for more Christmas, please check out our other Christmas episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, Christmas with the Cranks. Um, we call that episode Christmas Trash. Very lovingly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. <laughs> I know. Because I literally dropped that book in the garbage one day <laughs> and I hesitated to pick it up. <laughs> I was like, like, it belongs here. Yeah. I'm like it's home. Just let it go. But yeah, uh, we was, wanted a little bit of a different flavor this year. This is like Christmas classic. Yeah. And then that was Christmas. Like trash. classic Coke. Yeah. <laughs> and that other thing was like crystal Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to forget it happened. <laughs> Anyway, um, we hope you all have a great holiday, whatever holiday you're celebrating, and get great time with family and friends, yes. and get that Red Rider BB gun that you've been craving mm-hmm. all the, season long. We all know you've been asking <laughs> everyone for, but did you ask your father? Yes. That's the question. It was your father the whole time. The gun <laughs> was your father the whole time. <laughs> the gun was your father's approval that no. you've been seeking this whole time. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
the lesson. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Cover Two Credits with the number two. Mm-hmm. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Yep. As, ju- as just cover to credits normally. Yeah. We're, you can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. Um, we're on Patreon and we appreciate everyone who has supported us on Patreon. Yes. We sincerely appreciate it. We love you. Uh, it's been great doing this whole podcast and it's awesome to see everyone that's been listening and that's been, you know, sending us messages. We love just hearing from you guys. So thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful. If you have recommendations, we love doing recommendations. Yeah. Because we like knowing what kind of adaptations you want to hear about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether you're a patron or not, whatever, please just, yeah, shoot us a tweet or an email or Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, Carrier pigeon, whatever. (laughs) Your preferred mode of communication. Message in a bottle. Just throw that (laughs) shit in the ocean. Yeah. Maybe we'll get it someday. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah. And also, uh, please leave us a rating if you can Mm -hmm. on Apple Podcasts, because that also helps us out tremendously. Yes. And we will see you next episode. Next episode. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye.